0: Welcome to Taking the Plunge with Marissa Woods and Mara Seiler-Price. We are two people who never thought we would be
1: doing this, but here we are giving it a try and taking the plunge. We are so excited to meet and share the stories of so many people who have made significant changes in their lives and taken their own plunge. We hope you'll take this journey with us.
0: Well, hello, everyone. We would like to welcome Jennifer Joyce, who is a master instructor at Salt Fitness. You just celebrated your 20-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations. And you have two beautiful children in their 20s. We're really excited that you're here.
1: So, Jennifer, as you know, the three of us were brought together because we are all taking this moment in our lives to plunge into something that is very different from our everyday lives and what we expected um, in our lives. We'll talk about your plunge moment a little bit later in the show, but first we wanna hear the journey that you took to bring you to this moment. And with all journeys, they begin in our childhood, the family that we grew up with, and the events that impacted us. So can you take us back to what your family of origin was like, the people that were most impactful, as well as the events that impacted you?
2: My family comes to uh, the forefront immediately. Um, I grew up in a suburb, northern suburbs of Chicago. Four children. I was the only girl. Three brothers, two older, one younger. I had an incredible childhood. Everything seemed idyllic. And very close to my parents, pretty close to my brothers. Being the only girl could be a little bit challenging at times, but we were a close family and we did a lot of things together. And we went to Catholic schools at, at Sacred Heart Church in Winnetka Parish. And it's still a very important part of my life. Still belong to the parish. And I assumed growing up at that time, that's how all families were um, close knit, supportive a moral compass that is very strong and pa- my parents were very involved in our lives they were looking back now they were not out socializing a lot and leaving us or taking vacations and i i see what a big deal that is today now and i learned a lot from them how to how i wanted to navigate my life and lead my life and raise my children and marriage i looked at their marriage and thought their marriage was perfect. I'm sure it wasn't perfect, but in my eyes it was. And I thought I would have a similar marriage and marry a similar person like my dad, um, who had good values and family was without a doubt the most important thing in his life.
1: Well, it's, it does sound like you had an absolutely amazing childhood that set you up for a life where, you could achieve those, all of the goals that you wanted and that you were accustomed to having a really strong support system to get you through anything that life threw your way. Obviously, life doesn't always go perfectly, um, which leads us to the, the next part of your life. So you grew up in this very idyllic household, very tight knit, and then take us through those adolescent years of
2: yours as well as college and into the next phase of your life. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school at Regina in Lomit. Grades were good and um, had great friends. And, and then I'd say junior year, co- senior year, start looking at colleges. And my dad told me I was going in the Midwest within 300-mile radius. He drew it on a map. But my <laughs> brothers couldn't seem to go where they wanted. Um, and he had me going to um, Creighton in Nebraska. And it was a Jesuit school. Uh, he loved the Jesuits. And I did not see myself in Nebraska, nothing against Nebraska, but I just didn't see myself there. So I was looking at schools in the East Coast. I had a brother that was at Holy Cross. My dad said I I was not going to school in the East Coast. It was too far and I would get married and move away. But when I got into the school I wanted to go to, which was Providence College in Rhode Island, um, he saw my excitement and knew that I would be going there. (laughs) And I promised him I would not get married and move away. And And he was right. (laughs) (laughs) I did meet somebody in college and got married and moved away. So, yeah. So daddy was right. Daddy was right. And it was definitely eye-opening and and different than I had expected. It was going to be down the road. In in what ways was it different? I had a relationship uh, and I did get married and it was a long-distance relationship for five years, which was a little bit like a fairy tale kind of. The flying back and forth, he was in the East Coast, I was here in Chicago. The flying back and forth, it was always fun, uh, arranged dinners. Uh, uh, there was never any downtime or going through regular, normal, everyday life and disagreements and how do you come to conclusions. And it was just always these weekends that were planned. And so for five years, while he was going through law school, his name was J.R., he was going through law school, and my dad had always told me he didn't... Um, want me to move never live with anybody for sure uh before getting married and did not want me to move to the east coast without being engaged so I did get engaged eventually after five years and um I still stayed here because I I knew my dad and my mom were going to be heartbroken for me to move eventually which was definitely going to be happening so I did get married and I moved from that honeymoon after our honeymoon we actually got married in Jamaica my dad was there and uh I moved to New Jersey after that uh, so I was long distance in our relationship with my family which was definitely hard and uh, I had some issues having children um, it was just bad luck uh, but they were devastating uh, miscarriage and then another pregnancy that hard to talk about but it was um, they said what happened was I was one in 50 million uh, it was just something unfortunate that happened at five and a half months mm-hmm. and I lost that baby so then I was, I guess I would be 31, and I was afraid to have children again. It was just, um, I, I wanted to have four kids my whole life, and I wasn't even sure I was going to be a mother at that point. So I did have, um, I was so lucky to have a baby girl named Korean at a 30, I think I was 30 or 31, and then we had Matthew, and I felt so blessed again. Both of them are, without a doubt, the greatest joy in my life. So, yes, I was super, super happy. Within a few months of that, I became very unhappy when my marriage unraveled very quickly. He lost his way somewhere and um, didn't want to be married anymore. I started calling marriage counselors and tried to get Jr. to come, and he would come sometimes. And It was very difficult to put a marriage together when only one person wants that to happen. They wouldn't like to tell me what to do, but I, I knew what they were suggesting. Um, being raised Catholic, nobody in my family was divorced. Not anybody, not a cousin, not a relative. It was not even in my realm of possibility that that was going to be happening to me. And uh, I just didn't see divorce as an option. So I kept trying. 23 months, almost two years, um, I worked very hard at, at trying to put my marriage back together throughout that process my mom and dad were my lifeline my dad I remember calling him and and he was very much in touch with me on everything and he he very much was in touch with JR and gave him every benefit of the doubt and always told him the ball was in his court and that Jennifer being me was a lifer in this marriage and it was going to be up to him and I, I I think Deep down, my dad always knew what the results were going to be or what the outcome was going to be. Um, But I think he hoped, and and my mom and dad both hoped, that it would be what I wanted it to be, and that was to keep my family together. So I remember my dad called me and he said to me, because he never wanted to tell me what to do. He wanted me to come to the conclusion myself. But I, I depended a lot on him. My mom was more, it was hard for her to face and hard for her to talk about. My dad was more the one that kept, you know, me moving forward. And he said to me one day before I was going to the mar- my marriage counselor, he said to me, this was probably 23 months into the problem. You need to give him an ultimatum at this time. You can't live like this anymore. I can't watch you. I'm, I'm watching you. And out of everything that's happened, I can't watch your spirit be taken like this anymore. And I finally got the courage to, to say that. And I was going to put my house up for sale and move home. And that is what happened. My house did go for sale that following week, and uh, I moved back to Chicago.
1: That's pretty incredible. I mean, what a gift in a lot of ways your dad gave you by affirming that your spirit was being taken from you and that you needed to put an end to what was going on one way or the other, either to really move forward in a meaningful way or to... For you to extract yourself from a marriage that was no longer serving you despite all of your best intentions and um, all of the energy and resources that you were putting toward it. I think it's your like your dad said like it takes two people and when only one person is putting in energy and wants to make it work. It's impossible.
2: Yeah, it's impossible. You Can't keep marriage together with that. No. What
1: were the things that got you through that really difficult period as you feared that your marriage was
2: unraveling? Were there certain things that kept you afloat? I threw myself into fitness. It was life-saving. Uh, my family,
0: my faith. Mm-hmm. And so when you moved home and then you, you moved in with your parents. I moved in yes. with my
2: parents because I was I was completely sad. I didn't have... My spirit, like my dad said, was not there. My self-esteem was not there. Um, though they were sad about what had happened, I know they th- saw it as an opportunity to help me with my children. And my dad saw that as an adventure, and like he made it so fun for my children. They look back at that year as an amazing year, <laughs> and they, oh, they bring it up. That's, that's beautiful that they, that's how your kids remember that period. They remember it, and my dad was so involved, and he said it to me. Gosh, I he felt so lucky to able to help me when they I moved home by the time they were two and four so they were very little and they supported me until I was ready to you know grab the reins again and, and take back my life and uh
0: move forward and when was that that you were able to take the rings and move forward
2: there was there was somebody that was a friend of the family who um always asked about me and the children he was actually at my wedding in Jamaica and he, he was a friend of the family. And he always would ask about me when he'd see my parents. His name is Bill. And um, he was a dentist. He is a dentist. <laughs> and he was their dentist. And he was a, uh, my dad knew him quite well. So we went to dinner. For some reason in my mind, I thought it was a little bit of a date. I don't know. I was probably imagining it or hoping. I don't know. Because I did like him. I always thought he was such a nice person, good person, moral person. So Bill and I went to dinner. And of course, I got all dressed up. <laughs> thinking it's a date, but I don't think he thought it was a date. I don't know. So we went to dinner. He was so nice. He was such a gentleman talking about condos and schools for my children in areas in Chicago and listening to me. And I thought he was such a good listener and gosh, he is such a good listener. And then he walked me to the car and like, was good night and goodbye. And I was like, Oh, and it's funny because I told all my friends in the East coast about him, like through the last couple of months about this. Great guy, so nice, and I, maybe I'll go on a date with him. I was kind of kidding. And so, of course, when I was going on this, what I thought was a date, <laughs> the next day they all called me to see how it went. <laughs> and if I got a kiss, good night. And I didn't. So I thought that solidified that, that it was not a date. Um, but three days later, he called again. And he asked me if I wanted to go to a movie. I, I thought maybe this was a date. <laughs> so we went to a movie. Again, a perfect gentleman. Nice to the movies and then I went to to pick him up I because he was in the city I was in the suburbs and I went downtown I don't know we were doing something downtown I went in and I came into his um condo and he said oh I have something for you I said oh you do and he handed me this little this little blue bag a Tiffany bag he said I just don't think anybody's done something super nice for you in a long time oh. and I opened it and as I opened it I never thought I, I just pictured a Him in a jewelry store. I never thought a man would be buying something from me in a jewelry store again. In my mind, that's what I had thought. It was a bracelet, a little gold braided bracelet, and it just, for me, at that moment, it represented just hope. He wanted to do something nice and special for me, and it was, it was just very sweet, and gave me a lot of hope.
1: Were there certain fears you had going into this relationship, knowing? what you had gone through, through that divorce and having young children. Um,
2: The number one thing for me was that I I knew I I probably would maybe meet somebody and they would love me, but they had to love my children. First and foremost, those children were always going to be first, always. And uh, they couldn't just like my children. They had to love my children, really be a part of their lives. So yeah, that was going to be the number one thing for me. And it
0: sounds like from pr- pretty early on, Bill was sensitive to that. And yes. again, like almost from the get go.
2: From the get go, he loved the unique. children. He did love the children. And when Bill came around, we didn't let the children know he was around for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they thought he was a friend.
0: At what point did you feel comfortable sharing with them that this, in fact, was your boyfriend?
2: So maybe we were dating six or eight months. I think they started to know he was picking me up to go on dates. And I, I told them, you know, we we were going on dates and, but they were still young. So I don't know what they thought of that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then that following fall, I was getting ready to, you know, move to the city and look for a different job. I was personal training at the time that was definitely not going to pay for the bills for me and my children. So um, Bill offered that he was going to sell his condominium in the city. And he, he didn't think I should move the children to the city and be working full-time because they were so young. So he sold his condo and he moved in with a friend and then he bought a small home in Winnetka and the children and I moved in and, uh, Bill drove up almost every night. (laughs) So I think they knew by then (laughs) he would drive up every night and then drove home every night because I did not let him stay overnight, even though it was his house. (laughs) Uh, he'd come and go every night. So they'd see him. And, uh, so they knew. Yeah. So that was great. And then after about a year, Bill, um, I wasn't sure I was 100% ready to be married again because was, I was still reeling a little bit. Um, but Bill was pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think he became sure. And then he and the children, <laughs> the three of them, proposed to me oh. um, in Colorado. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I had a little bit of an idea. I don't think the children knew I had an idea, <laughs> but I had a little bit of an idea because I don't think he wanted to completely blindsided me. <laughs> so they came walking in and they were still little cuz I got married when they were 4 and 6. They came walking in and said, "Mom, would you like to marry us?" <laughs> just like that. It was just that like is... that exactly Aww. in the mountains and and your response was? Of course I was crying and of course I said yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was so happy and we were all so happy. It was like it was just it was unbelievable from where I was several years ago to what had happened and this person that was so amazing that came into our lives and just changed our lives forever.
1: That you just celebrated your 20-year wedding
2: anniversary is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's it, it's incredible. And I, I look back, and I was so worried that my children were going to be, you know, not have everything they have. And I don't mean material things. I mean who they are as people. And, you know, having my dad and my parents, my brothers— you know, when we moved home to me getting married again and us developing, you know, the life that we were going to have and and Bill being such a role model to them. And I don't believe they would be where they are today without Bill and um, the role he has played in in stepping up to be such an important person in their lives. You've obviously spoken a
0: ton about your family and how important they are to you and both your parents and your father as well. Can you kind of tell us about what was going on with your father during this, this period, you know, these past 20 some odd years? Yeah.
2: So my dad, um, you know, clearly he, you know, came out and got me and the kids, he's like a knight in shining armor. I remember him picking me up and us driving away. And I'm, I'm of course bawling my eyes out. And my dad was already starting to be like stepping up to the plate in the big way. And we got home and he was just, very around. I remember in the morning, I would like I used was used to having coffee and newspaper by myself, and also my dad was there every morning. I was like,
1: hmm. so you know, like that was a
2: little bit di- different. And I was like, okay. And he like would hang out, and I'm like, shouldn't you be going to work? So uh, we were hanging around a lot. So uh, so we would talk, and I talked about doing this triathlon. I want to do a triathlon. I was turning forty; it was a big birthday, and I wanted to make my dad kind of proud. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this because I was a great swimmer. He always thought I was a great swimmer. I started getting involved in this. The fitness a bit more and then I had this triathlon and we went to pick him up it was 5:30 in the morning and we went to pick him up and my dad had this uh, my brothers and I always laugh about every time we give him presents clothes whatever he'd save them like forever and then he'd bring them out when they were like no longer in style and he'd be like I'm wearing this new thing you gave me I'm like dad I gave that to you like 10 years ago like a bomber jack whatever it was and so he comes out of the house so he's a saver of his clothes comes out of the house that morning at 5:30 in this bright pink polo shirt and I looked at it and I was somewhat mortified well not somewhat I was completely mortified (laughs) because the pink was like a color that was just not in style at the time not in vogue. let's put it that way I he had gotten it probably years earlier and then he brings it out it was like the wrong color at the wrong time I was like oh my god dad I'm like, why are you wearing that shirt? Like, how embarrassing! So we go See, to the- even at forty, you're still getting embarrassed. Yeah, I'm still getting embarrassed. <laughs> my dad at forty, but I was like, whatever. So I'm all nervous with my triathlon. We're driving up to Wisconsin. My kids have their signs, and so I start swimming, doing the freestyle, whatever. So I'm swimming, taking breaths. I think I was thinking about my dad. I definitely was thinking about my dad. My gosh, he must be proud of my swimming now. <laughs> and I was taking uh, so doing the freestyle, taking your breaths, and I was maybe I was half a mile from the shore. And there's hundreds and hundreds of people. I think it was 22,000 people in this triathlon. Hundreds and hundreds of people on this shoreline. You Can't really make them out. But I spotted this bright pink shirt. (laughs) (laughs) And I could not believe that I spotted my dad among all those people. And he was walking the whole time I was swimming. He was walking along. So every breath I took, every time I took a breath, I saw him the whole swim. And I remember, even underwater, I was, like, crying during that swim because I thought it was, it was just like a metaphor for my whole life. You know, he was always there supporting me and proud of me. He had these three boys that he always thought, you know, he always said this to me about three boys, like he was more of a dad's, he always thought he'd be more of a dad's father. But with me... I'm not going to lie. I hope my brothers <laughs> don't listen. <laughs> I know that I was like super special to him and um so pink his pink shirt that I was laughing at in the morning became something beyond what I'm telling you.
1: So again, daddy's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, once again. <laughs> once again. We are definitely seeing a theme yes. here no matter what he says He's or
2: right. wears. <laughs> mm-hmm. He he hits it. Ap- absolutely. He does. So October came, and uh, Halloween was coming, and the kids were running around. It was dark, and my dad comes walking in with this big, like, barrel or a big tub that you could bob for apples. He thought it'd be really fun. He tried to make everything always fun for the kids. My dad loved little kids and kids always. <laughs> Clearly, I think I've made that clear. <laughs> he comes walking in with this big barrel, and he said, I'm like, what is that? And he said, we're going to bob for apples outside. I said, Dad, it's like in the 30s. It's freezing. <laughs> He said, oh, they'll be fine. We're just going to, well, then we'll just do it in your kitchen. I said, dad, I have hardwood floors. I said, you know, I can't have water. The hardwood floors. And he's like, it's going to be fine. Big deal. You just wipe it up. I was like, oh, so annoyed. So I'm like, whatever. So he brings these affy temples or ta- the affy temples. Yeah. Affy temples. Yes. Affy temples. brand. They're still in the same great. packaging. Yeah. I don't right? know if you guys yes. know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Still in the yeah. same packaging. You go in the grocery store. They're there. Yep. So he has them for prizes. Regular apples, and then he has these for prizes. And kids were all excited. They came in, there's water sloshing all over my kitchen. I'm like annoyed, but listening to the kids squeal and laugh and have fun, I'm like, oh. you know, my dad, once again, right again. They <laughs> loved it. You know, that's right. right. Water over, but no big deal. Sell the Affy Tapples. So the Affy so apples. I still have four of them. They're in my freezer. 17 year old Affy apples because that was the, the last night my dad was at my house and it's a memory I'll have forever. It was the last night my dad was at my house on November 5th, so six days later. I was at church at Sacred Heart. I left my phone in the car, and when I got back to the car, I picked up my cell phone, and there was 20 missed calls from Bill. So I drove over to the restaurant we were going to, and I said, let me just see what's going on. So I called, and all I heard was my kids screaming and Bill's telling me to get home. Get home, Jennifer. He was calm at the moment. He said, get home, Jennifer. I said, what's going on? He said, just get home. I, he wouldn't tell me. I said, Bill, is it my dad? And he finally said yes. I go, is he okay? All I heard was cry. Bill, my dad had a massive heart attack on expressway. In my mind, I always thought I had, I turned 40 that year. He was 70, I think he just turned 71. In my mind, and he was a young 70, 71. He hung out with all people young. He wanted to be like young, young spirit, young energy. In my mind, I had 15 more years with my dad. I don't know why I had that number in my head, but I did. My biggest fan, my best pal, my best pal. He was gone. And I I didn't get to say goodbye. I felt like I was hit by a train. And my mom, my mom adored my dad. We all adored my dad, but my mom, she met my dad at 14 and married him at 18. It was probably the worst moment in my life. I thought my divorce, my divorce was really hard. And losing those, having those miscarriages and that baby that I lost was devastating. All, all three devastating moments in my life. My dad. It was the fall and he died and in his wake we had his funeral and it was warm and sunny, unseasonably warm and sunny. And I was getting ready for his wake. I was putting makeup on or something, and I was looking out the window, and there was this leaf that was, like, floating in the window. There was no tree there. and I thought it was so weird. It was just floating there. And I went to the wake, and Bill dropped me off. And I got out of the car, and a compact fell out of my purse. And it was closed, and I, I I opened it to see if the mirror broke. And when I opened the compact, there was a leaf in there in between the mirror and the and I thought, gosh, that's so weird, weird again. But I still didn't think that much of it. Days after that, I was out running, and all of a sudden the leaves were like, I mean, it was fall, so I can't say they were appearing because of my dad, but I felt like they, were, as I was running, they were blowing on the sidewalk, like dancing, like moving from side to side, like in front of me, like my path. There's a path you can go down by the water. And I, went, I always run down by this place, too. And I always think of my dad right there, always. I always have, always do, always will. But that particular day, I stood there at the, at the, over those rocks on the beach, and there was a leaf floating above the water, way out, not near any trees. And I thought, all right, now these leaves are starting to appear everywhere. <laughs> like, am I not imagining this anymore? And so I was watching this leaf, and the water was very calm. And I waited for it. I got close to the water. And I waited for it to, to move in. You know, it took a while because there was no waves. There was nothing really pushing, just little gentleman. And as I got closer, there was this wave, a wave. I got splashed, like, in this leaf, in this wave. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's my dad. That's my dad, you know, comforting me. And for a moment, I felt happy. I felt comforted. I grabbed the leaf. I ran home with it in my hand. I'm sure it's still in my house. And since then, I have incidences with leaf. 20 years later it's still happening on my birthday I you know my daughter makes fun of me we had dinner at the peninsula a few years ago for my birthday we were sitting outside at this restaurant and I was sitting there and all of a sudden this leaf just blew across and landed on my right on my table right on my plate and I'm like oh my god and then it blew away and I was like looking for it and my is like or my daughter's Caribbean and uh, Mom, you're being so weird. <laughs> but I ran over to get the leaf. I was under somebody else's table. You know, like I had to have the leaf. I just did. But the leaves do appear. My brothers and sister-in-laws, I, I've told them about it. They too have had some incidences with the leaves. So I know I'm not crazy.
0: I mean, it really sounds like, again, the way you've talked about him from the beginning. He's He is still with you, very much oh with you, very much a part of you, has been your entire life and still is today. And honestly, the relationship you have with him just... It's it's so special, and it sounds like you realize that. But it really, really is a really special relationship.
2: Well, thank you, Marissa, for saying that. It I, it becomes more special as time goes on because I see it, and I see my children and how how we raise them and who they are as people, and how I teach them is what I learned from my parents and the best I can and what I think is important as well. But I see things in them now that are. It remind me so much of my dad, whether it's nature, whether it's nurture, it's Bill, it's me, it's, it's all of us. It's all of us. But I know my dad and my parents, my brothers, have such a, you know, hand in all of it. Uh, it's very joyous, but it also is very painful. You know, things that are special to us and then we don't have them. But then I, I see them as gifts. I have these great gifts that will, are forever.
0: I kept thinking of the word gifts throughout yeah, all of your stories is that you you really do. It's a beautiful gift that you have and your family has that will never go away. And I know one thing you touched on is writing and that mm-hmm. your dad always kind of thought sort of pushed you in that direction. And when we all first came together, that's kind of how it started that you were having a bit of a plunge moment. So if you could kind of, you know,
2: tell us about that and, and where you are now with that. So yeah, my dad always thought I was a great writer. And so I did go in the advertising field, similar to him. And when he did pass away, um, I remember going into his room a few days after he died. I just, it was, it felt funny to go in there because he wasn't there anymore. But I went in there and I just, I looked around and next to his bed, I guess I'd never noticed it, were all the letters and cards and everything he and I Everything I had sent to him, which I, when I sat down and read them, I, I was really amazed at how much I wrote to him, how much I told him about my life when I was away at college. And the letters he wrote me are cards. They weren't just cards that said, you know, here, Jennifer, here's 20 extra dollars or how's college. <laughs> they were these like well, mm-hmm. long letters that we wrote to each other, which I now I look back at that. That seemed mm-hmm. unusual now, too, that yeah, that I was writing them back and took the time in college to write these and the stuff I was telling him—that was like, you know, about boys or, you know, school, <laughs> drinking, whatever. I was telling him. I was like, I was, we had a very open relationship, and I was reading the letters. But that was—that's what was next to his bed. That is what he cherished. There were the letters that I'd written him in college. They were in a pile next to his bed, and I was—I was so taken back by that. Like, and then I went. His he had an appointment book that was in that room as well, and I looked in the appointment book for some reason. I just decided to look. There were little yellow stickies, and he had dates planned with all his grandchildren going turtle hunting or doing this. <laughs> or do, those were what, these, the most important things to him. So I was like, wow. And when he did pass away and at his funeral, I had written a letter before I left when I said my final goodbye to him there. I took the letter that I wrote, and I put it in his pocket, and I told him I was going to write And I was going to write about him and the amazing dad, incredible dad he was and how lucky I was and how lucky my children were that he got to help me raise them in that that year we were at home and how he did for me when I had such a hard time in the East Coast and how he just helped me, push me forward and I made that promise and I I put in his pocket and I I couldn't write about it for a couple years but i did finally start to write about it i started a little bit here a little bit there a little bit of journaling i got in some journals people give me so i started writing and then i started to write it more as i want to write a book about my dad i want to write a book um i started to write it just started coming out i wrote for several years and then i put it i would put it up take Write it, put it down, write it, take it down. Very painful, some of it. Some I'd love to write, funny stuff. I, you know, all these things. And then maybe 2007, I thought I finished it, what I thought I was going to be finished with. And then my children knew about it, and they kept asking, when are you going to finish that book, Mom? When are you going to finish that book, about <laughs> Poppy? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, you know. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I started to put it on the computer. I'm much better at writing freehand or longhand. Uh, I'm much more creative. So I started to put it on the computer and I didn't back it up. Okay. So I wrote. probably got about a quarter of it on the computer, and then uh, the computer crashed, and I got away from it. And I've come back to it here and there, and now I've met with these incredible girls that I'm sitting with, <laughs> women I'm sitting with right now. Take the plunge. Now it's taking on a whole new meeting. <laughs> uh, and I'm now revisiting. I'm going to finish this book Truly because incredible. of you girls. Well, Truly, it is because of you girls, Because <laughs> I was afraid of you get afraid. You start to Mm -hmm. think you're going to fail. You think nobody else is going to find this interesting or helpful or inspirational like I do, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to move this forward.
0: That's amazing. And you have such a beautiful story to share. You really do.
1: And we're hoping that you're going to come back Mm -hmm. on our podcast and talk to us about your finished book Mm -hmm. And we're going to hear more about your life and what you're doing and how it feels to have this project complete and put it out there.
0: I
2: can't wait to come back yeah, and be talking hard. about that as well.
0: <laughs> and we do have a final, final few questions that we want to ask you. These are totally spontaneous, nothing that we've talked about before. So we're just okay. going to go for it, okay? Let's go for it. So if there's <laughs> one thing you want to do more of, what would that be? That's a tough one. Well, that's a good yeah, sign. That's, a great, that's a great answer. I can't but think of can't, one thing. Well, you know what? That's, well, a, that's a great answer. Yep. Then let's keep, Fine, let's let's keep let's, moving. Let's leave it there. Okay. One word to describe yourself in your 20s and one word to describe yourself today. 20s.
2: I it's A dreamer, I think I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, you're saying? Mm-hmm. Still a dreamer, mm-hmm. but a little bit more, more realistic. realistic. Okay. Beautiful. If you could have a do-over
1: at any point in your life, what would that be? 15 more years
0: with my dad. If you could tell your 20-something-year-old self one thing, what would it be?
2: Everything's going to work out.
1: And right now, how do you feel after doing this podcast, sharing all of these really incredible, beautiful, moving stories?
2: Extremely emotional. It feels good to talk about them because they're hard. Some things are hard to talk about. but. It feels very inspirational, like yeah, I can I can do this. I can take all these things and and uh, move forward. I am very similar to my dad. I have to say I'm pretty similar to him. i'm I'm pretty positive and I like connecting with everybody who I work with. I love what I'm doing so much, and my children are doing great. They both have great jobs. They did great in school. they're they choose great friends. I mean, that's the best right there. Yep. And you, you've often, I just
0: have to say this, you've often, I feel like, almost given credit to your dad or to Bill or to yeah. other people, but you need to give yourself credit because you're an incredible, like, inspirational person that's really, again, put your family, your children, your father, just in general, first. And you you need to own that, too, because really, honestly.
2: Thank you for saying yeah. that.
0: So really, That's just, nice. Thank you. We just really want to thank you for, again being our guest this was really i just think it was so special in so many ways and we're just so grateful that you were willing to do this with us and take the plunge with us well like thank we you should, for asking me you should do a totally sorry christ oh, oh. okay cheers
1: cheers, cheers.